You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Hold on a sec. Bible reading plan. So basically, I don't want to speak about this too long, uh, too much time on this, but basically, um, one thing that we're really intent on for kids from zero to eighth grade in particular is trying to instill biblical literacy. We want them to be people, people of the word. It's very hard to read the Bible if you um, don't know some of the basic foundations. Like the more kind of stories you know, like knowing who Moses is or who Abraham is or knowing this story or that story, um, the more accessible the Bible becomes. And so basically we started this project over a year ago, a uh, year and a half ago almost now. And um, basically we had six people go through, skim the Old Testament, uh, six people in this church, five of whom have a seminary degree, kind of amazing. Um only one of them on staff, and uh, basically identify the stories, the people, the places, and the items that we thought constituted basic biblical literacy. Uh, Then we came together and we kind of uh, examined the frequency of all those different items and used that to create a benchmark for biblical literacy. So then what we did is we um, took the stories, we, we defined, uh, like gave a description of every story and defined every item in the in the whole you know benchmarks for biblical literacy and created these reading plans where you can go through and um, it has you know reading number one Genesis one the creation of the world and so in that story it has you know uh, a, an overview of Genesis summary of the Bible um, the, of the passage and then key items to teach your child and it has like Adam Eve the Garden of Eden and it defines like those things are. So basically the point of this is um, the Old Testament is probably a little too long. Um, it's uh, it's like 130 readings. That's pretty ambitious. Uh, New Testament is going to be a lot less. But um, but basically it gives, um, gives individuals and families a reading plan where basically if you, do, if you read through the Bible reading plan, just like read these passages to your kids, like say at breakfast, at nighttime, whatever it is, um, you can not really know anything, but you have all these items, and you can be like, all right, do y'all know who Adam is? Like, this is who Adam is. Do y'all know who Eve is? This is who Eve is. You know what the Garden of Eden is? This is what the Garden of Eden is. And um, you can basically be the one to, like, build your kid's <laughs> biblical literacy. Uh, there's no way as a church that we can give your kid even close to a satisfactory level of biblical literacy, just what we do on Sunday morning. Um, your kids will get, you know, I don't know, maybe 35. 30, 40 hours of total instruction at the church on a Sunday morning throughout a whole year. Uh, think about how much instruction they get on like science at school on a given week, right? Almost more than that. Not more than that, but that, that's about a month's worth. Anyhow, so, um, so with all that being said, this is the beta phase. We're in pilot phase right now. And so if you are a person who would like to be a guinea pig and take this home and try it for three months just to kind of, you know, Read some passages. Obviously, you're not going to finish this. I don't think there are 130 days between now and the end of May. But basically, we have instructions on here on things for you to look for. Um, and um, things for you to look for and things you can do to help us out. So before we like make this into something pretty and we spend you know thousands of dollars to print this into um, a book, we actually can, can assess whether it's effective. And we can make some adjustments before we uh, go to the pretty version. So these are right here. Um, it has the instructions, and if you'll let me know that you've taken one, um, that would be that would be great. Uh, thank you for being 
a guinea pig. Like All right. What age range would you? This can go from age three to um, honestly high school. Okay. Yeah, and quite honestly, I think there are a lot plenty. If you just as an individual want to take it and use it for your own, like, geez, I'd kind of like to grow in my biblical literacy and just use it as like a, a Bible reading plan for your own devotional life. You can do that too. So, um, so yeah, it's pretty. Um, it, it goes across the whole spectrum. All right, I'll pray for us, and we'll get down to business. Um, Lord, thanks for your goodness and your loving kindness, and thank you, um, thank you for the gospel. And Lord, I pray that you would use this time uh, for your glory and for our edification. I ask you in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so if you do not have this sheet, uh, it's going to be uh, essential for this class. This is kind of law. It says law, gospel, and, and family wisdom and parenting. Um, what we try to do in this this class is um, basically to give you tools to educate you, equip you, and encourage you in ways that you can spiritually invest in your kids and also to offer comfort in the gospel uh, for the great sense of failure that we all live with day in, day out as parents. Um, and so in this class, this is this is class three of a series called Law, Gospel, and the Family. Um, and I'm going to talk about something called the, the Law, Gospel, Continuum. That's kind of a Cameron term. Um, but basically what it refers to is uh, there's kind of a time when a person, uh, when a child, when they need grace. You know, they, what they, what the way you need to respond to them is by giving them forgiveness and mercy and comfort. And there is a time when a person or a child, they need to be responded to with law. Like they need to be said, like, this is wrong. Like you did wrong. This is bad. And these are the consequences. And it's really hard to know. Um, it's really hard to know when to respond with grace and when to respond with law. Um, and some of that depends on the child's personality and their kind of natural disposition. Um, some of it depends on the circumstance and the season. And so what we're going to do in this class is we're going to um, first look at the function of the law and the function of the gospel, just theologically speaking. Um, and then we're going to look at... Um, a number of biblical examples of how God and Jesus uh, in the Bible, how in certain circumstances they respond to people with law or they respond to people with grace. Um, and then we're going to look at a couple of movie clips, or not movie clips, but clips from Modern Family of, of when a child clearly needs grace or when a child uh, clearly needs the law. Uh, Haley Dunphy on this side and... Uh, um, Alex on the other side, if you're a modern family person. Okay, so to start, um, uh, three uses of the law. Um, so we're going to start out, we're going to just talk about the law. And some of you are probably like, God, that, that means a lot of different things. Uh, so I want to offer a little bit of clarification. In the Bible, the word law is used in a number of different ways. Like Sometimes it's used in reference to like civil law, like obeying the authorities. Sometimes law means like the Ten Commandments or uh, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, where there's tons and tons of um, worship and religious um, uh, regulation and um, direction where there's lots of moral law and direction. The law is referred to in that way. And the law is also referred to as a way of living, a way of living where uh, you live depending on your own performance. You live out of your own strength, your own power, and that is in opposition to living by faith or living in the gospel, living by grace, living in the spirit. And so to start out, um, when we talk about the law, uh, a lot of times there's this term called three uses of the law. 
Anybody ever heard this before? Raise your hand if you've heard of the three uses of the law before. <laughs> um, so first off, first use of the law basically refers to uh, like safety and protection uh, to create order in a community. Uh, so for example, like we have stoplights, we have jails, we give out parking tickets, like that is the first use of the law. Like basic things we need to do to keep things in order, to restrain evil, to create consequences so that the world is not total chaos. And so in the context of a family, like examples of this would be if the toddler runs out in the street, like you reprimand the toddler. Um, and uh, that might be they lose privileges, that might mean they get a spanking, whatever it is, but that is the first use of the law. Like you cannot let your, you cannot let your toddler go run out in the street. That's just, they'll, they'll kill themselves, right? Um, another example of this would be uh, you put um, restrictions on a child's iPhone. You know, you're, you're, you know your child doesn't necessarily, by the way, our next series coming in uh, end of March and into April is going to be on technology. It's going to be very, very good. Um, teaser. But anyhow, um, but yeah, like putting restrictions on your child's phone, that's first use of the law. Like they don't necessarily have a great battery for making decisions. And so you put those restrictions in place um, so that they can't make horrible decisions that are really destructive for them and other people. So that's an example of the first use of the law, like basic consequences for the sake of safety and order and protection. All right, second use of the law, um, also sometimes referred to as the theological use of the law, is, is the law as a mirror. The law is a mirror. It is basically functions to tell us the truth about ourselves, to reveal to us our sinfulness and our need for Christ, our need for God's grace. Um, and so you can see in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it says, For by works of the law, no man, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Like, we would not know that we're a sinner unless we had the law to tell us that uh, talking bad about people behind their back or lying or stealing, um, that that is wrong. Like, the law educates us that we are sinners. Uh, and so in that way, you know, it's kind of like uh, I say the law is a mirror. The second use of the law is like the law is a mirror. And so basically, like, you don't know that you have broccoli in your teeth or you don't know that, uh, you know, you need to, to maybe do something different with your hair uh, or that you have a zit unless there's a mirror, right? We're walking around and we're, you know, here I am smiling. Hey, how you doing? You got broccoli right down the middle of your teeth, right? And so the mirror, when you look in the mirror, you go, oh oh my goodness, I got broccoli in my teeth. I feel like such an idiot, right? Um, it reveals the flaw. And so in the same way, the law, the second use of the law, functions as a mirror to show us um, our sinfulness. If it weren't for the law, we would not know that we had transgressed. We would not know that we had broken the rules, and therefore we needed God's help, God's restoration, God's grace and forgiveness. All right, and by the way, we're going to focus on the second use of the law today. That's, that's, that's where we're going to set up camp. Um, Last, the third use of the law, um, to offer moral guidance in, in, in life to the Christian. Uh, this is a, de a debated matter uh, in Protestantism, particularly among Lutherans and Calvinists. Um, Calvinists say there's a third use of the law. Lutherans say there's no third use of the law. But basically, um, uh, basically, third use of the law is after you're a Christian, um, this is like what a, a Christian lifestyle looks like. This is the most life-giving way to live. That's what we mean when we talk about the third use of the law. But we're going to focus primarily on the second use of the law today. By the way, we are totally going to get to your kid, uh, but we got, I kind of got to set the stage, uh, set the stage a little bit with some of these basic concepts. 
Um, so with that being said, um, second concept to look at here is the law and gospel as ways of life, like a way of living. And so, you know, when we talk about living under the law, that is a way of living where we are focusing on, we are depending on ourselves. We are depending on our moral and religious performance to measure up, to measure up. Now, that, in, in the religious space, that would be, if you're living under the law, if you're not a Christian, then you're living under the law. That means that in terms of being good enough for God's approval or acceptance, you are depending on your track record. Like, hey, I'm a good person. I'll get into heaven. Why is that? Well, because I've lived a good enough life. That's living under the law. Like you are pointing towards your own performance um, in, in, terms of, uh, in terms of your acceptability, your worthiness to God. Um, living under the gospel, however, you are depending on the performance of Jesus and the grace that comes through that. That's what living under uh, the gospel means. Living under, and when we live under the gospel, we are depending on uh, the power and the grace of God through the Holy Spirit. So, you know, let's say you're entering into um, a, a challenging situation, a challenging meeting or conversation. You've got to have a hard phone call, whatever it is. And you, sit, you before that phone call, you say, Lord, I really need you to help me uh, be wise. I really need you to help me be patient. I need you to help me be kind and understanding in this conversation. That is living under the gospel. Because in that, in that moment, there is this shift where you are, I'm entering into the situation and I need the help of God. I'm depending on the work of the Holy Spirit in my heart uh, in, order to, um, in order to negotiate that phone call in an acceptable way. So, um, uh, so which would be the best one? Okay, so when we see in Galatians chapter 3, verse 9, down there in scriptures, um, for if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. It's talking about the law there in terms of a system of living. Not like the moral laws of the Bible, not the civil law. It is talking about righteousness that comes by a system of living where you depend on your own performance to measure up. All right? Um, we are, I promise, we're going to get we're going to get to your child in a second. Okay. So that being said, um, here's kind of where here's here's um, starting to land the plane or, or kind of uh, get out of the clouds and get into real life a little more. So we want to, we're thinking about this conversation um, basically in terms of as a parent, uh, a large part of your hope and desire is to see your child grow and mature spiritually like you want to see your child grow in a love for christ you want to see them grow in their dependence on and trust in christ you want to see them grow in their service for christ and so um so with that being said the law and the gospel both um have a very have an are both essential elements they have essential functions in effectuating that in your child that you can't have one without the other if the only thing your child knows, the only way your child is, is um, related to is purely law, purely you have done wrong, uh, you, um, you, know, you haven't measured up here, these are consequences, that's it. That, that is going to send a message to them, you need to depend on yourself. Um, and that there's no grace and mercy and, and you can't look to God, you can't look to us, you can only look to yourself. If your child 
is only related to in terms of grace uh, and gospel, then your child is uh, it's going to be pretty cheap grace, and your child is um, not probably not going to see their need for God's grace. They're not going to see the consequence of their sin in the and in in the the effect it has in relationships with other people, the effect it has on themselves, and so on and so forth. So, so with that being said, when we talk about functions of the law, the law ser- sorry functions of the law and of the gospel, the law serves to show us that we are sinners who need God's grace and redemption through Christ. That's that's a first function, to show us our need. Uh, That's the mirror part of it. Second is the law also brings us to the end of our rope, where we see that a life of self-reliance is not in our best interest, and that we need to live in relationship with Christ, trusting in his grace. So um, in that way, a lot of times when you see a child like bottom out, um, and they kind of have their little micro breakdown, that's the law doing its work. Let's pretend that your child... It's exam time, and your child is studying like 14 hours a day. Um, or, you know, there's some kind of sports thing or dance thing your child wants to make, and they are just like shooting baskets all the time or practicing all the time just to, a, you know, to an insane extent. And you can tell they're putting tons of pressure on themselves. When they come to a point where they are like, I can't do this anymore, you know, where they have that, have the meltdown. That is the law. The law has done its work. It has shown him that the law as a way of living is not life-giving. It's not sustainable. It's not in their best interest. And so that's two different ways that the law functions in a good way. The gospel, it serves, the the way it functions, it serves to restore and redeem us in our sin and failure, uh, to know that God's grace and forgiveness is there. Uh, It serves to give um, give us comfort, the comfort of God's love, um, and it also, the gospel is what sanctifies us. Like, you do not, you're not transformed as a person by the law. Uh, the, the law alone, you know, it, it says in Romans 3, what the law was powerless to do, Christ did. So basically the law, like, you're not, you're never going to develop a, like, moral, compassionate, sensitive, responsible person by just giving them the rules all the time. Like what really changes a person and transforms a person's life is knowing that they are loved apart from their performance. Like knowing that they are loved unconditionally at their worst. Um, and so the two the two things have to function together. So with that being said, really where I want to get to and why, why I, we we um, did all of that kind of theological homework there um, was to talk about how this functions in the way that you relate to your child and how you respond to your child. Um, and so there's a time to respond to your child with the law, and there's a time to respond to your child with grace. And so below here on, on your sheet, um, you can see that um, uh, you can see that there are, there are uh, really five different stories here, and you're going to see how God relates to or uses the law or uses the gospel based on the circumstance. Um, I'm going to skip number one, that Josiah reads the law for time. We're going to start with number two, the rich young ruler. So context of the story here is you've got this guy who um, he comes to Jesus. He's very self-righteous. He says, uh, you know, a man came up to the starting of verse 16. Behold, a man came up to him, him being Jesus, saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? 
And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your mother and father, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, All of these I have kept. What do I still lack? Okay, so what... um, what do you think? Uh, what do you think is this guy's problem? Like, what's what's the issue here? He does not see a sin. Like, really, a guy, a person who is, you know, probably an early twenty something, is like, yeah, I've perfectly kept the law my whole life. Like, I haven't broken any of those laws my whole life. All right. So, in this circumstance, what do you think this guy really needs to? What is what is standing in the way of him and coming into a relationship with God? Yeah, seeing a sin, like. He really thinks that the law has worked for him. Like, hey, I'm good. I'm I'm righteous. Like, look at my life. I haven't messed up at all. I'm perfect, right? And so, so in this circumstance, then what would what do you expect? How do you expect Jesus to relate to him? Do you expect Jesus to put his arm around him and say, "Buddy, great job. Look at you. You're so moral." That would be relating to him in like in grace. How do you? What do you think he needs here? He needs the law. And so here's what Jesus says to him. Jesus says. Um, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So Jesus knew there was an area where this guy had fallen short, and that was um, he, money was an idol in his life. And so Jesus then says, well, okay, go sell all your possessions, and then come and follow me. And the guy now sees his sin. There's actually hope for the guy. Even though he leaves in despair, there's a little bit of hope because he has been shown, like, you're actually not perfect. You know, you actually do need God's grace and mercy. Um, so that, that would be an example of, of Jesus relating to a person with law in a situation where they needed it. Okay, next, um, you have a story in Luke 7 where a woman who's a prostitute comes in to a dinner where Jesus is sitting around with a bunch of Pharisees. And she um, starts to wash Jesus' feet um, with her hair. And the Pharisees, this is what it says in verse, um, shoot, no, no, verse it is, but it's in there. <laughs> um, here's what the Pharisees say. When the Pharisees who asked Jesus to come to his house saw this, he thought to himself, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know that the woman touching him is a sinner. So what do you think the Pharisees think that this woman who's a prostitute, what, is, what do you think, how is, what, what do they think she needs? She needs the law. Like, she needs to be condemned and she needs to know she's got a problem. Well, what does Jesus see? This woman is weeping and she is washing his feet. What, does, does Jesus, like, condemn her? No, like, Jesus kind of upholds her and says, like, this is the model. But why is that? Like, the law has done its work. Like, she knows that she's a sinner. This woman had probably had an encounter with Jesus before this event. Like, she had probably received the gospel of grace at a different encounter and now has come to Jesus um, in this moment to kind of, like, adore him and worship him. Um, but anyhow, so this is a situation where this woman needs grace. Like, she knows. She, she knows that she has problems in her life. Uh, the law has done its work. And so now Jesus is responding to her with grace. And that's what's going to transform her. That's what's going to change her. All right, next, um, the last one, the call of Isaiah versus the call of Jeremiah. So Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet. 
Jeremiah, Old Testament prophet, two of the major prophets. And um, Isaiah was young. He was from royalty. He was rich. He was very smart. I didn't mean to offend you, Ginger. I'm so sorry. Gosh. No. <laughs> JK, JK. Um, so um, Isaiah is going to, because of his background, because of his talents, um, he is going to um, tend to lean more towards self-righteousness. And so does anyone uh, know, like, how is it that when God is calling him to be a prophet, how is it that, what is it that God does? Like, what's the first thing that happens to Isaiah? Yes, he, God shows Isaiah his holiness, which the law is a reflection of God's perfect holiness. Like Alan Ross says that if you want to think, one practical way to think about the law is if God and all of his holiness were to come down and live on earth, this is how he would live and this is what he would look like. This is how he would worship, Right. So that's why we talk about Jesus being the completion of the law, because that is actually what happens with the person of Jesus. But anyhow, so that being said, God humbles Isaiah to a point where Isaiah says, I am a man of unclean lips. And then God gives him, you know, comes to him and meets him in that, gives him grace. But Isaiah needs to be humbled first. Now, Jeremiah, so, so basically God first relates to him with law and then gives him grace. Jeremiah, however, Jeremiah is young. Jeremiah is very insecure. He feels, he feels inadequate to be called to be a prophet. So look, let's look at how God relates to him. The Lord spoke his word to me, saying, Before I made you in your mother's womb, I chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart for a special work. I anointed you as a prophet to the nations. Then I said, But Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Don't say I am a boy. You must go everywhere I send you, and you must say everything I tell you to say. Don't be afraid of anyone, because I am with you to protect you, says the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand, and he touched my mouth. So how is God relating to Jeremiah? You know, with grace, like with kindness. Like, Jeremiah doesn't need to be told, like, yeah, you're right. Come on, Jeremiah, step it up. Jeremiah feels totally unequipped. He feels totally inadequate. And so the way that God is relating to him in that is God is... Is, is encouraging him and he's giving him grace in this moment. Yeah, and he touches him. I mean, this is, this is like, think about this, the great holy God who like shows himself to Isaiah in a way that absolutely unravels on Isaiah. Come, he, he reveals himself to Jeremiah by reaching out his hand and touching my mouth. So like affection, right? So with all that being said, now thinking practically with our kids, I think the big thing I want to come away with here is that we, walking under the gospel, we really need God's wisdom from moment to moment to know when we need to relate to our children with law and when we need to relate to our children with grace. And another thing, too, is we also, in the the way that God knows us, we really need to know and understand our children and who, who they are and what their emotional landscape is because that also kind of informs us and in how they need to be related to. So let's, um, we'll see if the internet for the first time in world history works in this room. Um, I think as parents too, you have to kind of work together in that too. Because mm. one parent's been laying the law and another one comes and adds in. Yeah, right. No, yeah. Good cop, good cop bad cop. <laughs> All right, so here's Haley Dun- Here's uh, sorry, Alex Dunphy. Yeah. 
Oh, sweetheart, can't you just take a minute to enjoy it? It's your birthday. You put too much pressure on yourself. I remember my sweet 16. I wanted a theme party. Moonstruck had just come out, but I hadn't. So no I stories, was... no time. SAT. Here we go, everybody. We all know why we're here. <laughs> I honey, you missed one. I know. I know I missed one. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> there, happy. Whoa, your thing's a little... Obstreperous? Recalcitrant? Truculent? I was going to say cray-cray. Alex, I really oh. need to focus. There is a 16-year-old science prodigy studying cancer research at Johns Hopkins. 16! What am I doing? I'm eating cake! No, no, no! No! Okay. By the way, this whole clip is really great. I wish I had time to show it. Um, but, um, but basically, you know, like... The Alex goes to a counselor, and then the mom goes to parents, like, parents' day at school and, like, gets a sense of, you know, the teachers are like, I only get two hours of homework, you know, a night, and, and Claire is, like, so overwhelmed by all the responsibilities the kids have. And so, actually, here, let's go to this little last touching scene here where the mom, like, uh, Claire has been totally overwhelmed by her, you know, what it... She has gotten a real sense of what it's like to be Alex. The pressure she's under, the demands of being, you know, a high school student. And so here is what Claire, this is a good example of what it looks like to relate to a person with grace. Oh, hey, honey, how did it go? Good, and I made another session for next week. How's the evening? Wow, so intense. I had no idea the kind of pressure you're under. Honey, I was just you for two hours. I could barely hold it together. I don't know how you don't have a meltdown. Every day. I, oh, honey. <laughs> Sweet. What? Did I say something? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. 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 All right. So, um, so you can see there, like, grace doesn't just mean declaring, like, your sins are forgiven, right? Like, God's <laughs> grace comes to us in a number of different ways. Um, and so in this way, you can see that the way that she extends grace to Alex um, is by um, through understanding her, you know, through being compassionate about the difficulty of what her life is like, you know, through affection and comfort. And so um, and so that, you know, uh, that is a lot, that's a lot of times what it looks like to uh, to relate with grace. And so. Um, I, by the way, I would just say, uh, I would say, and I'm speaking more for like to, to the, the middle school parent, high school parent, I'll tell you that most kids, especially girls, they li that, that's their life, really. Um, most suburban uh, kids, particularly <laughs> suburban girls in the South in particular, they feel accused all the time. Like they feel under so much pressure to measure up, and it's on so many different levels. Like physical appearance, socially, academically, sports. So the law is almost constantly doing its work to make them feel inadequate. And so I have this little term, you know, I'm sorry, this is like a 40 minute class, I'm trying to, to fit into like 20. Um, but I use this term called law grace continuum. And like, I think that you kind of have people, everybody needs, everybody needs the gospel. <laughs> And I think you have some personality types where they need the gospel like 90% of the time and maybe the law 10% of the time. <laughs> uh, and, um, and then you might have some where it's more 50-50. I don't think it's ever more law than gospel. But, you know, Haley, 
the other child in the in modern family, the other daughter in the Dunphy family. Um, Haley, on the other hand, um, she tends to need the law a little bit more because she gets in trouble and, and she always has a rationalization and she really never thinks she's done anything wrong. So like in this, actually I'll just show you the clip, it's really short, but in this one, like she gets arrested, like she um, she's drunk and she like, uh, you know, physically has some, you know, uh, illegal physical contact with a police officer. She falls out of a tree on top of the police officer and pushes him <laughs> off. And when they like pick her up, she's like, everyone does this. Like everyone gets arrested in college, you know? It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like you're potentially facing felony charges and you're acting like, like you feel justified, right? And so they, um, this, you'll see here, Phil in this little tiny clip relates to her with the law. Go ahead. Illegally blonde Elle won her case because she was true to herself and dressed cute. Haley, this is real life, not an excellent movie. What is this? <laughs> okay, by the way, that was in reference to Haley's about to go to court. Uh, and she's like, you know, in the way, she, anyhow, she's being kind of acting the fool, as they like to say. <laughs> but anyhow, like, this is a situation where Phil, like, comes down on her and he needs to because she is not contrite about, you know, what she's done. She does not see her need to turn in a different direction. She does not see her need uh, for grace and mercy. She does not see her sin. And so um, going back to my little very, very sophisticated diagram here that includes an arrow. Uh, <laughs> yes, graphic design is really my forte. Um, but anyhow, I, just to kind of finish up here, I would say uh, basically we constantly need to kind of ask for God's wisdom on when to relate uh, with law and when to relate, relate with grace. And I also think we need to be aware of our, our, know our kids personally and know based on their personality type. If you have that child who's very type A, who seems to always, always be like performing, always feeling like they're not enough, like that's a child who needs heavy, heavy grace. Um, whereas you might have a child and they need grace too, but who just doesn't seem to ever take accountability and doesn't seem to really ever understand the consequence of their actions on others, like that might be a child who's going to need a little more of a healthy balance of law and grace. Um, and I think, honestly, I think we'll just stop there. Uh, let me pray for us. Um, yes, if you have a Bible, if you want a Bible reading plan there, if you let me know if you take it. And um, yeah, I'll pray. And you can chitty, we can chitty chat after if you have questions. Uh, God, thanks for... Um, Thanks for your, uh, for that th there is grace. Thank you, Jesus, that you've lived and died and risen for us. That, um, that, uh, grace just flows in great abundance, uh, from God the Father to us. And so we trust you, Lord. Ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.